This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Brianna Wiles and Kat McKinnon. And uh, Brianna, would you like to introduce yourself first? for everybody listening. Yeah, so I'm Brianna Wiles. I'm over here in Gunnison, Colorado. I'm currently sitting in one of our apothecaries. We have two, one here in Gunnison and one in Crested Butte, Colorado. And my big passion is using wild plants for food and medicine. So we like to involve that a lot within the products that we make within the store. And then um, with what I teach, Kat and I teach together doing plant camps, which are either in real life or we have an at-home version. And so within both of those courses, we kind of get into the nitty gritty of teaching people um, how to either eat from the wild or make medicine and remedies from wild and native or weedy plants. Awesome. And Kat, Mm -hmm. would you like to introduce yourself for everybody listening? Yeah, sure. So my name is Kat McKinnon, and I'm coming from Boulder, Colorado, so another high elevation herbalist. And I work for an organization called the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism. And we have um, a two-year program in herbalism, and I teach in both of those programs. But my main work that I do is I'm the director of our low-cost clinic, uh, where our second-year students see clients for various types of chronic illness. Um, but then I also teach for our first year programs and kind of just the basics of herbalism and anatomy and physiology and disease. Uh, and I also, of course, teach with Brianna. Um, my background was originally in ancestral skills. So 
primitive fire making and wild foods. And that was kind of how I slid into uh, herbalism and getting into that in general and working with herbs as medicine as well as food. And I think that's all the important pieces for now. So let's so, stop there. I don't know if you actually <laughs> mentioned, you didn't mention the name of the school, I don't believe. Oh, I did. It's the, uh, the school is the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism. Clinical Herbalism. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm just kind of curious if we'll like go into this and then we'll start kind of talking to both of you. But Kat, what like led you to these ancestral skills and things, earth, you know, like skills like that? What, how did, where did that come from? Well, uh, me and my brothers were homeschooled, so we had quite a bit of time on our hands and we were, I think they call it unschooling now. I, I think at the time we were just like free range children. So you're free range humans in the woods of Connecticut. And we just had a lot of time to delve into all of our interests and passions. And at a certain point, my brothers and I all kind of synced up and we're like, we need to learn how to start fires. And so we were kind of just a little pot of us. And we were like, just setting things on fire and so- <laughs> learning all the different ways you can do that. And I think that was the entryway. I think like a lot of people, that's the entryway into ancestral skills. There's so many different ways you can get into it. Um, but that was one of our main entries. And then from there, we just added on to it and added on to it. And eventually, as we got older, we all pursued our different things, but kind of came back to all going to the same ancestral skills school is the tracker school in New Jersey of Uh all places with uh, Tom Brown Jr. And we ended up volunteering with him. And then my brothers interned or caretake with him, with him. And then we all ended up working for the nonprofit that he started with a fellow named John Young um, called the Children of the Earth Foundation. And we just, we basically all just dove deep and did ancestral skills for like six or seven years. And we're like, yes, this will be our lives until we were like, wait, <laughs> it's really hard to make money and do this. I need to build a house, um, not a shelter. A <laughs> um, which actually that, it, that kind of happened. And also I think life just happened. And I was like, no, I want to do more with herbs, um, which is also not a very lucrative profession generally, but um, another kind of passion profession. So anyway, I, hopefully that's a, a good, not too rambly answer. Well, that's awesome. I feel like we could talk a lot more about that. We figured out how to blend the two. She does it now. (laughs) She's totally blended the two now with plan camp in real life where she could teach ancestral skills in the herbs. It's great. So like starting fire when you were a kid, I got to know this because like I used to start some fires for sure. Um, What was like your favorite way to start a fire? (sighs) Gosh, when I was a kid? Yeah, when you were a kid. Not now. Like, oh, I don't care God. if it's a hand drill now or whatever. It doesn't matter because <laughs> ancestral skills teacher. But, like, I want to know. Magnifying glass. Yes. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Magnifying glass. I used to like burn that. ants. Like, I mean, I'm not proud of that's... it now, but, like, I used to Same. burn ants and I, like, had the magnifying glass and I'm like, oh, let's concentrate. And the thing was, is, like, my dad was pretty cool about, like, letting me get away with a lot of stuff that another like and we grew up in town like in a neighborhood (laughs) but like still ran pretty feral 
as far as kids, like we used to have bottle yeah. rocket wars in the cornfields across the street, and like all these cool things that like now you'd probably go to jail for, I'm sure. Actually, I don't even I, think they sell bottle rockets anymore, like around here. But anyway, I was just thinking about that. And it's all these things that you like all the kids in the Midwest and East Coast could get away with that in the West. Like you'd be starting well, forest, forest fires. fires. Well, we did start like some forest fires. Crime. Not going to lie. Like, <laughs> like there was crimes out here. Yeah. But oh, yeah. You can't do the, yeah, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. But like, so then my dad, I, I was like 11 years old and it was like FM. 2176 or something field manual of army survival mm. yeah, yeah like old enough to read but not probably old enough to fully understand like hey you can do this but you could hurt yourself doing this like all the different repelling things and like so here i am like zip lining out of trees oh and stuff like <laughs> repelling out of trees okay. and all kinds of stuff right <sighs> and that was like my childhood so totally get it mm. me and my buddy my buddy had like a huge patch of timber behind his house and we used to go and like steal boxes of matches and like sit there and throw them and like see who could get a fire starter first, like throwing them from our fort we made that's like 20 feet up in a tree, like just crazy stuff, right? Raking fire lines, like we learned how to rake fire lines out of desperation to, to, to stop the spread of fires that we started because of like, this is getting huge. What are we going to do? You know, but yeah. Starting fires with a magnifying glass. I was like, what? I could do this? I even tried doing it with ice, like convexing or ice, you know, yeah, with my hand. Yeah, yeah, Can't totally. do it. It's impossible. Maybe you can, but one, the ice has to be stupid clear, and there's no way <laughs> you could use your hands long enough. That was the ice ever. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, you need to do it. You do it with um, a powdered starter. Like you basically do, you know what coal extender is? The what? So you can, we used to do this with, we used to do it with just basically like kitchen spices because it was perfectly granular. If you ever started a bow drill fire, like you have the dust that you make from the friction. Oh, I see what you're saying. Or any method of friction No, I'm saying I couldn't concentrate the light. I couldn't concentrate Um, the light enough. I see. You know what I mean? Like the ice wasn't clear enough. It just didn't make a good lens. And my hands got so cold. Like I put them in my armpits and try and warm them up (laughs) and then go back to it. But it never worked. Snow caves were fun. But, all right, so herbalism. You guys are herbalists and uh, actually met you guys at the Wild Harvest Festival. And my wife actually said, she's like, you know, that made the trip for me. Taking their class and, like, learning their stuff. She's like, I vibed with them. The energy was good. Like, you know, it was just cool. So I had to tell you guys that. And that being said, we're kind of going to talk about some rudimentary things, even though on this podcast, we've talked about stuff like, you know, bitters are for this, this is for this, but we're kind of going to go into like, Hey, what can I do to, you know, everyday things to like help heal myself from multiple things? Or what can I do to keep myself healthy? Things like that. So who wants to start first with some things of that nature? Oh, I want to hear it. (laughs) <laughs> I'll go first. Okay. Yeah, go for it. So, are you thinking just like broad every day? Like, what so, would you take kind of things? Yeah, like, okay, for instance, like, obviously, plantain. The more I learn about plantago, is like, mm. it's an amazing plant. And it's something that's so common that people completely neglect. Like, it drives me nuts the mm. fact, like, hey, all these people spray their lawns. They kill all these things because they're told they're ugly, mm-hmm. right? And really all these things. And and the other thing is, is like, I don't know. I could probably go on a tangent for this, but weeds. They give them mm. the stigma and the name 
feeds, right? But it's not yeah. a, like a weed is given such a bad, like noxious, terrible mm. name when realistically none of them are weeds. They're all plants. They all have a purpose. Whether well, it's, and it's interesting because most of those weeds have like our highest value yes. of minerals and nutrient density to them. And so it's been kind of fun in the, the yard that we have. We've let it go. Like we don't do any spray or anything like that. And um, we're like apparently the sore eye of the neighborhood because we let things go and reestablish. So we have clover in the yard and plantain and dandelion. There's even a wormwood that's sprouted up that I won't let my husband mow over. Like there's certain patches of random feral herbs, like nettles started to come up there and we have a mullen and there's random things that it's, it's from wild crafting and bringing it back home and yeah. then processing herbs or processing and throwing some seeds or winnowing. Or, yeah. yeah. And, seeds <laughs> out and then they get in there. And I guess what my point is though, is I like, like there's certain weeds that I'll pull up like, um, kosha or even sometimes the amaranth or the lamb's quarter because if they get mowed they get pokey because mm. they're just like they have a firmer stem right but the clover and the plantain uh, they make such a nice lawn as opposed to grass yes. like it's so soft and so they're these mm. little low dwellers that kind of can take over and they're more native than the grasses that we all are growing yes. in our yards. And yes. So to me, a lot of times those weeds that we have growing really commonly around us are like the most beneficial for us. So like the plantain, mm. the clover, um, the nettle, those escapees that people are literally trying to poison and choke out of right. their yards. Like, like pineapple weed is like the most delicious. Yes. So little tea <laughs> to have, you know, like I was showing, we've been looking at new properties recently and I was showing it to the real estate agent and he's just like, huh? what? You, you, you would eat that? Like you, and I'm like, smell it. And he's like, wow, that, that is actually like, is that really chamomile? Yeah. And so I love the weeds that are around us. And I think there's such a vital component to utilizing them for the ecosystem, for us, um, so and for being a little anarchist of like f the system and absolutely. trying to poison all these things that should be around. Yes. So like what's what's crazy, right? Like they tell you to do all these things and like almost conspiracy theory means like oh, theorist is like, why are you telling me to get rid of these? It just pisses me off even more. It makes me want to have more of it. But like yeah. So my lawn. Me. Yes. I I let like let it go back, kind of like you're talking about your lawn, and it's like all these things I'm discovering and like. What's crazy is, so we live on a creek on some property and um, every once in a while it floods. So like the soil is super rich in areas where it floods, mm. but I used to mow it down and now like I only mow paths through it so you can access it, but still let it all like just go back to what it was. And now I'm starting to see this year was the first year and it was like, I wanted to use it for medicine, but at the same time, I'm like, ah. There's a little bit of irony in this because it's the first one I've ever seen and here I am and I'm going to like take it and utilize it for something. And it was, mm. it was cardinal flower. It was Lobelia cardinalis. And I'm like, ah, oh, so oh, yeah. yes, it's so beautiful. And I was like, and I'm showing my kids and they're all like, what are you so excited? It's just a flower. And I'm like, no, it's not. Look how beautiful it is. Number one. And two, I know, I we're going to make some tinctures out of this sorry. thing. And then, <laughs> and then, but then like next thing you know, like two weeks later, here's two more of them and then two more of them. And I'm like, yes, everything is starting to reestablish itself. And it's amazing. If I could just get rid of like the water hemlock and like things like that, you know, but <laughs> no, 
that's like that's a bummer around here too in our irrigation ditches I just I dig it out every year when I first start to see that first leafling and I haven't seen it in a couple years come back there's too much and there's like tubers so I actually got I had a huge pile of it's so thick like horse manure yeah so I had a huge load of horse manure from the previous owners of the property like huge and like I'd let it break down and I use it for the garden and other things like that but now it's like broken down to the point where like weeds are growing out of it because I didn't turn it over for like two years so water hemlock is in there and I actually went and picked up and kind of like moved it and turned it over and got into the middle of the pile and I was filling up some stuff for like some herb garden boxes but in doing that I found a couple tubers of like water hemlock and I'm like you know it's kind of weird because like I could see how people would be like oh it kind of looks like a sweet potato or something even though like if I, I broke one open and it's like super fibrous though like what would possess you to ever want to do that I I don't get it but did it have all the hollow chambers in it like kind of was it water uh, hemlock or poison hemlock? It was more the water. It hemlock? was water hemlock. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure. Cause it's pretty moist so was, back there. But... I, I'm just fascinated that it was in the manure. Like did the horse eat the seeds or was it just mixed in from like, I think from a compost? flood, from a flood probably mm. that it got up into the seed, you so know, the seed got we up. We were talking it. about doing some restoration with hemlock and I was talking about it with another farmer. And what we kind of came up with was like, you could try like a quarter water vinegar like a quarter cup vinegar quarter vinegar to water kind of thing or three-fourths vinegar to water to kind of damage the roots like this time of year and make sure you're clipping off all your seed heads and bagging them so you don't get that continual spread but then what we were talking about was like re-establishing the land and so if you could get a bunch of cattail seeds to start growing where the water hemlock was like our theory was like mm. I wonder if you could start to choke out some of the hemlock by getting in the cattail which would be more of like it would be better and so that was our idea was like choke it out some like dig it out (laughs) burn it out and choke it out (laughs) and then also never harvest tubers of cattail in that area no and then never ever yeah never so you're telling me that it it, it like actually poisons things around it as well or you're saying because you could mess up and that'd be i don't know i feel like it would kind of be a tough mess up but I mean, if you're actually following the stem down, like I'm pretty cautious, especially as like a fairly new forager. (laughs) I'm definitely not an herbalist, but I start doing some earthy things. I I won't even touch that stuff barehanded or like it's a a shovel for me. Really? Oh, I took it. Yeah. Just threw it, threw threw it in the garbage. No big deal, but it's fine. It's not going to poison. Like, I don't feel like it's going to poison me just by touching it. I'm pretty sure I have to like ingest or like have a cut or I don't know. Ah, Some some people, there was a great story, a gal named Linda Runyon, who's uh, one of the herbalists I first learned with on the East coast. And she's in in Jersey, but for a long time she was homesteading in the Adirondacks and her son, they were out in the middle of like pretty far out in the woods. And her son came back with what he thought he was, I don't know. He's young, eight, nine, ten, and he comes back with these armloads of what he thinks are carrots. He's like, "Mama, look, wild uh-huh. carrots!" And she sees it, and she's just like, "Oh my god!" Knocks it out of his hands and looks on his arms, and he's just covered like his, all of his forearms are just covered in these buboes, like you know the the really swelling, like mm-hmm. you know, fluid filled yeah. like blisters. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's pretty common with a couple of those family members, uh, like cow parsnip. So yeah, but I mean, with hemlock, cow parsnip. Cow- totally edible 
you know, as far as the root itself, yeah, to, to, I know lots of people that eat it. So here's the thing, though. For some Sweat, people, I guess that's the thing. Is sunlight. Like... Obviously, you're not going to eat a ton of it, right? So yeah. you're, you're going to do test batches. Anything I do, I always do test batches stuff. I'm not going to like, but I do yeah. know people that eat wild parsnip, cow parsnip, all that stuff. And they're like, yeah, it's edible. People are crazy to like, oh, it's so terrible. It's such a horrible plant. Sure. But like. When you're in the sunlight, you're bare skinned, you're sweaty, the stuff is getting to your skin and sticking to your skin, and then you're having yeah. like a photo reaction from the sunlight, like therein lies the problem. It's not necessarily, you know, and as a little kid, that's terrible because you obviously don't know that. That's it's super what I've painful. Seen. Yeah. I see p- here in drought years, you yeah. see um, people saying they got poison ivy somehow while camping in the mountains here and you're like nah you didn't get poison ivy up here maybe if you were down in like the black canyon there's poison ivy it like grows like trees down there but up here in the mountains we don't have poison ivy and so what it is is it's them brushing against the cow parsnip and it's usually around their wrists or around their ankles somewhere where there's like a gap in their fabric or something or somewhere that they're like not washing off all the way and it still lingers and and they're getting that phytodermatitis which is like an itchy burn rash blistery pretty gnar literally it's it's like it's like poison ivy i think right like you have some people that react to it poorly and some people like everybody you can do the like little you can do the cow parsnip tattoo like everybody gets that but and you can like you can like i'm not doing that like like i don't know what i was doing there i don't know i was like trying to think (laughs) well (laughs) i'm not gonna try that um but not everybody gets the blisters in the same way that not everybody gets like breeze brianna's so sensitive to poison hemlock but yeah, I'll touch, touch it. Like I'm like, and I can like trip out from it. Yeah. But, yeah. So everybody's everyone's a little. Yeah. I, no, I just like if you're handling a small amount. Like then again, like the lady you were talking about or whatever. If you're removing mass amounts of it, I would probably wear mm-hmm. gloves. But if you're pulling out like one or two pieces and being like, oh crap, that shouldn't be in there. You know what well, I mean? Well, I think it's the the sliced <laughs> root. Like if you if you're exposing and crushing the fluids oh, okay. of the plant, yeah. you have a more of a like an absorption into the skin is what can happen. Could be bad. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Yeah. Now. So yeah. Okay, let's talk about healthy things instead of <laughs> I know things that I'm will always, kill you. Always gotta start with the poisons though. Yeah, you do. You yeah. So like, what's your you, you guys like common thing that you tell people like when they first start? going down the herbalism road like is there anything like don't do this because there could be like consequences or something like that like you know too many juniper berries or whatever could Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like in concentrated things or something like that well we always recommend like in your region if you're going to go for you know you can be an armchair herbalist or you can be a foraging herbalist if you're going to be a foraging herbalist just learn your poisons first (laughs) <laughs> so somehow we ended up talking about poisons first. This is great. Um, and you know, water, hem- water, hem- learn the kill you dead poisons because there's all sorts of individual reactions to herbs. Um, and there's all sorts of what we call self-limiting poisons. So things that make you, you know, nauseous and sweat and puke and, you know, have like explosive diarrhea. Those are out there, but mostly they're self-limiting because they don't damage your organs long-term. So like learn the really really toxic ones the ones that you'll be in a good deal of trouble with if you eat you know a couple of mouthfuls even so, um, so what are that's those? kind of like, like what what would we say those are 
well, we have we have all ten of the deadliest poisonous plants in North America here in Colorado. Um, so yeah, we, we wrap have... it good in our state. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. um, <laughs> water hemlock, poison hemlock, the death camas, which as you can, a friend who was a song, a death metal song, botany song about death camas. It's great. It's very very Do deadly. It's that? like a couple of bulbs. Um, actually, those are really the top three in North America because they look like food or medicine like poison hemlock and water hemlock look like medicinal or edible like a wild carrot or there's an herb here called angelica and death camas looks like wild onions like if it's not flowering you could confuse the bulb so those are really the top three poisonous ones um brie what else do you think as far as like the next one down next one's down after that that people could confuse there's kind of like those are my those are the top ones and then from there you kind of get into things like monkshood or Mm. or like your mild toxins that would definitely have some effect on the body but it might not drop you dead um Mm. or your larkspur um or your like agitating ones like your poison ivy yeah Um, things that are going to be like topical but i mean poison ivy eating it like (laughs) bad idea (laughs) like even there like that's not you know bad idea (laughs) (laughs) burning it really bad idea and um I'm I feel like those three other ones, those are kind of my big, those are kind of the big ones that you definitely want to get familiar with them. Like, yeah, you need to see them or to see pictures of them first before you can be comfortable, in my opinion, going out to get a lot of those plants, because a lot of times, like the plants you're going after that might look like a poison plant, they actually tend to be aromatic. And so when you're going to harvest an aromatic plant, like onion, um, roots, bulbs, and you start getting a bunch of them. And then you accidentally harvest a death camas root after mm. your fingers have a really big oniony smell to them from gathering a bunch of yeah, roots. You can run into a really big problem of like, oh, but I can smell my bulbs. I don't need to know more identification. I don't need to know the way the leaf looks. I can see it by the bulbs. Well, death camas and onion, if you just looked at the bulbs and isolated the leaves from the two, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference as a novice. And if you smelled it with an onion already ridden hand, it's going to smell like onion because the tips of your fingers smell like onion. So not great. Right. Yeah. Um, that could definitely happen. Same thing sometimes with those APACE mm. families, or those carrot family plants tend to be aromatic. And so crazy carrot death, family or the, the <laughs> po- yeah, the poison yeah, hemlock and yeah. the water hemlock, yeah. you know, have more of a like musty deathy kind of smell is how I associate that smell with it. Whereas things like angelica or carrot um, and a few others tend to have more of this like intense aroma that comes out of the roots. Mm. But again, if you're harvesting a bunch and slicing your knife and cutting roots out, you can definitely overpower a musty smelling root with an aromatic root. I don't spend, spend too much time in the APACA family yet. Like I'm there, I'm like, oh, it's a you know, like look at it, check yeah. it out, like you know, Queen Anne's lace, you know, like, and I show my kids like, look, see this flower, this flower doesn't have a little mark right there in the middle, like a dark slash reddish dot in it. And this one does, you know, just to show them to like, stay away from them, you know, the other ones. But like, other than that, I don't really get too far into that. Plus, like eating like wild carrot and stuff, like, I don't find that it tastes that great either. Maybe that's just me. Like, oh, more medicine for me is how I be family yeah so i'm not there yet but like one of the things i did and like learned 
well, not even learned, but like just as like my precautionary thing, because this year was the first year I actually went around the yard and collected a bunch of things, you know, and mm. dried them. And like the thing you saw with my whole uh, tea that I made today. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was all stuff that I collected over the course of the entire, like, yeah. you know, from spring all the way through now and dehydrated. Mm. And, um, you know, so I actually spent like almost like a year and a half or like two years just learning plants through the seasons and like making sure that mm. I knew them because, you know, as seasons change or the plants go away or sometimes they're there the whole time, it just changes, you know, with the season or whatever. So now like, you know, I know certain things come up in the, in the seasons and like you always see, um, like your dead nettle first and then your ground ivy starts coming up after that. And like all these different things that like I felt comfortable with because I already had that established like I know what that is I know when it's here and then this year was the year I actually went out and started collecting that stuff and drying it that's our yeah. big advice to students is sit with the plant yeah. for at least a year so you can see mm. what it looks like coming up in the spring what it looks like dying back in the fall what the seeds look like what the flowers look like because you know a lot of leaves can look the same and you know, things like monkshood versus geranium could be very confusing as looking at just the leaves side by side without seeing the flowers or um, the seed heads. And there's a lot of plants like that where you got to sit with it. I mean, even still, I'll be like, wait, what is that one? Is that a, and then you have to like see the growth cycle a little bit or look around at other plants nearby to like confirm with yourself that you're, you're right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that like that, as far as steps, like, okay, once you've got your poisons down is just pay attention is such a beautiful recommendation. Like following things like seed to seed is kind of how I yeah. put it to my students is just, that's fantastic. And really, I mean, it's hard to go wrong as far as um, just starting out with herbs, like pick ones that are, if you've got something that's not toxic, really just paying attention, not just to the plants, but then once you're ingesting it in your body, really paying attention to that connection between what's happening when you start drinking your tea or taking your tinctures or taking a bath with your plants or whatever it is, like really starting to pay attention to what is it doing to your body. Um, that's the other big piece too. It kind of applies. I mean, pay attention is kind of a, a precept that works across <laughs> all the different things you do in your life. Uh, but as far as learning herbs, that's like, that's such a potent, that's why herbalism is so, um, uh, what's the word egalitarian. It's like, it's for everybody. It's yeah. people's medicine because well, you can, yeah. you're an expert in your own body. Everyone's an expert in their own body. Um, so as soon as you like, Luke, you're drinking that tea, you can be like, what is this actually doing? Is it doing something? Is it doing a very small something or a medium something or a very large something? Um, and that's kind of, that's at least with, you're not, you know, if you're as long as you're not trying to knock back, you know, hyper concentrated plant materials, like you're not trying to drink essential oils or something insane like that, you'll usually <laughs> be able to, you know, perceive like, ah, okay, I can start to like, like your, your human settings start to come back online in a more subtle way. It's like level three, you know, you start to get like more sensate and more, uh, you get more interaction with your body and then between the herbs and then, and the know, earth. It's just, so yeah. And the like, earth, yeah. I, okay. A couple years ago, I probably would have never even admitted this. Right. And like, I actually, after I had my moment, 
I actually took a little video and I haven't even like put it on social yet, but I was going to do like a whole post on it because it's moving and people don't realize it. Okay. Mm. There's a point like to where everything comes full circle. Some people never experience that. Some people experience a portion of that and talking to a lot of different foragers, a lot of different hunters. It's like everything is like intersected, but those intersections are blocked now. And so you segment yourself and you're a hunter or you're a forager or you're a forager that is an herbalist, you know, like it's not connected and it should be. And it's crazy Mm. to me that it's not because it goes back to those earth skills, those ancestral skills that it was, it was life and now it's not. And it's crazy to me. But anyway, so I'm out and I'm looking for hens the other day, head of the woods, and I'm running around and I don't find any and I find this giant puff ball and I'm like, oh, get excited and I run up to it and then it's dead. And I'm like, crap. And it made me sad. And I had like a moment and I'm like, ah, oh. but then I was like, I turn around and I'm like, yes, and there was just like 20 of them. And I just took what I could take and use, you know, the ones that weren't buggy mm. and whatever, but it was like, Awesome earth provides you know so then i was mm-hmm. like i'm gonna go to another spot and what's crazy is like the one spot which was only maybe 10 feet in elevation different and the one that was actually higher i start going to all these oak trees and it's like boom and just starting to grow and it's like this big perfect size not buggy mm-hmm. yet like totally just cut around didn't get any leaves in it or sticks in it, it was like the perfect one and i had this moment and i'm like thank you oak tree And I put my hand Mm. on it. I'm like, I felt it. I was like, thank you. Thank you for providing for me. What could I ever do for you? Because I can't give you the same that you've already given me with the acorns, a place to be in and hunt when the deer are eating the acorns and giving me that mushroom and everything else that you provide. Like, it was just an amazing Mm. feeling. And I felt that connection. And I'm like, did I just become like super granola or like, you know what I mean? But then, (laughs) but realistically it was that connection and it's all those things but i don't think without like the foraging a hunter would never have that moment i mean maybe they do maybe they don't i'm already super thankful for that animal but now i'm Mm. thankful for the tree that provides for that animal i'm thankful for the tree that provides for me and gives me these mushrooms like it's an amazing cycle and that's full circle and Mm. it's like how do you even explain that to somebody be like no listen man you need to go out. You need to find this. You need to do this and hug that freaking tree. You know what I mean? Like, how do you tell somebody mm. that? <laughs> but I had well, that moment. A, it's <laughs> hard because I think a lot of people too. Um... Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. They don't like the mystery. Like they want to walk out and find it and have that satisfaction really quick. 
And I had someone say it to me once in that way. And it like blew my mind. And they were like, they're like, wow. So you just like go out there and you don't know that you're going to find what you're looking for, but you're still okay with that. Like I have to go out there and I have to know that I know where my mushroom spot is. I know that I'm probably going to find something. And like, that to me is fun. And I was like, what? Like, I love finding new spots. Like, oh, yeah. I don't want to go back to the old spots unless like, I don't know, I guess I have to, or like, I mean, or you just hit them all up because you keep collecting them every year. Right. Mm. Um, I thought that was so interesting because I think it's such a common thought maybe that us foragers or wild crafters really don't have because I don't go out and always expect to come back with something like with hunting. Like I, I don't always think like, okay, I need to go out for this plant. I'm going to come back with six pounds. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> I can count on it. And I don't go with that mindset because it's in the wild and I don't know what this year's providing and I don't know what it's going to look like or how I feel about it in a lot of different ways or what the plants even are kind of sending off to me in the way of what I want to harvest. And so that to me is like ethical, <laughs> whereas like humans that are like, no, I know this spot. I'm going to go there. <laughs> I'm going to take four pounds every year because that's uh -huh. what comes. But then after a while that spot starts to not be there anymore because they're abusing it and not treating it in that mutual respect of a way where like the plant needs to recede itself. The plant needs to, um, keep its root system happy. You know, like there's so many things that go into the wildcraft or the forage where you are, you're tending a garden. You're not just, you know, like you, I mean, a lot of people do garden like that where they just want to take, 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 but no, like everything matters to keep your garden successful for a decade. Um, and beyond <laughs> and beyond it's soil yeah. health it's plant health it's it's making sure that the microbiome of like the the my, like the mycology is vibrant and healthy and supporting the soil system um yeah humans are funny <laughs> like i think well and that's that's ultimately like sustainability Brianna and i both seen this because we've both been involved in herbalism for about the same period of time but, you know, even just in the past 10 years, sustainability is, you know, it's a buzzword everywhere. And it's like, it's a sustainable wildcrafted iPhone. Like, you're like, oh, like, you know, it's just everything has got that on. It's like, this is our. Anyway. Yeah, there's um, a lot sorry, of that's, to that's where people voice. abuse words to where they become meaningless. I totally agree but with that. Yeah. The ultimate thing that you just described, what you just described where you were like, Ah, oh, this beautiful oak tree is well, I mean, giving me this That thing gift is older like... than I can ever be. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. that tree is 150 years old, probably. It's given more oxygen to the earth yes. than anything. Like, it's done more it's like, work for the earth than we can fathom. You the know? only thing like, I ever thought of was, like, if something were to happen to you, I could try and protect you. That's it. Like, that's all yeah. I've got to offer, buddy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, I, always, I mean, like, that's sustainability to me. Like, that's because it goes beyond, like, how do we sustain the same kind of taking process and goes back into, like, oh, do you have a relationship? Because, I mean, if you've ever been in a relationship where someone's just taking from you all the time, just gives you barely enough so that they can keep taking from you. It dies. Like, that's a shit. That's a shitty toxic. It dies eventually. Yeah. It dies eventually. Something terrible happens. The limbs fall um, off. Everything. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I wasn't talking so, about the tree. Like I was talking about the person. <laughs> yeah, I was too. Like Earl. <laughs> the limbs fall off. It's dark. Oh, God. Like the Dixie Chick song um, or whatever it was. <laughs> but. but yeah so that's like that's perfect like that little bit of like 
oh, like less sustainability, more like relating. And it's also just so much more fun. Um, like that's the, I don't know, that makes it, that makes it spicy and interesting well, that's the mystery. and just it's like mysterious. You're, trying, yeah. you're, you're tapping into the whole system of life and like, I don't know, like it's oxytocin yeah. feeling. Like when it's, you walk it's amazing. Woods, yeah. It's I that, felt like it's, yeah. it's a different is, feeling. Yeah. It's that feeling of like a newborn baby that you just birthed. It, and it's like, I don't know. To me, that's how the woods feel. It's a flood. Like it if there's a flood of emotions that opens up when you walk into the woods. If you're tapped mm. into like, wow, there is so much going on around us right now. You know, we were in the woods the other day and we were gathering a root um, that's native to here. And all of a sudden we could hear the mooing of the of two moose. There was a cow and a bull. And it was like, you just, you, you feel it. Like you could, you didn't just hear them. You could feel it vibrating in your body, you know? And there's those elements that I think are so raw to witness and like buzzword wise, that whole rewilding and people having to have these words to like forest bathe and rewild and all these mm-hmm. things that are becoming like trendy. And it's like, you mean walking in the effing woods? Like we have to like call it something. Yeah. All it's doing is just tapping into your connection that you should have Mm. that you've gotten so far away from. And that's like when you were talking about the people like, wait, what? You you don't know what you're going to get? That goes back to – Yeah, it's like (laughs) that goes back to society and the mindset of instant gratification and everything has to come instantly. And like, Mr. Bezos, sorry, you've even ruined me because – now, when I order something and it's like, wait, what? It's going to take like a week and a half to get here? What? <laughs> what? Yeah. So, I mean, that's just the mindset that we've all gotten. And like anytime I could encourage people to totally get out in nature, just just immerse yourself. Let yourself be in the moment. That's the biggest thing, mm, right? Like be yeah. in the moment and just see where it takes you. And that's like what happened to me though, right? So I found the puffballs and I'm like, so there's no hen of the woods here, which is kind of weird because I've got a buddy that found like over 200 pounds already. Um, Mm. I don't need that many. I'm not going to take that many. He makes and preserves and gives away to all of his friends and stuff. And that's cool. And, you know, and probably sells some to, you know, other people too. But me, I'm going to take enough for me. I'm going to put it up enough to share. And that's enough for me you know, mm. different mindset. But then again, you know, that's like how I hunt too. Like I'm not going to overtake even when I hunt certain properties. Like I'm like, okay, if I hunt here, I'm going to take one deer from this property and then I'm moving on to something else and take one from yeah. there. You know, you, yeah. you want to maintain once again, that's the balance of making sure things reseed and all these other things. You want to yeah. keep that balance and keep it beautiful and keep it to where it grows and it's healthy. Mm. Yeah. We well, this- I, oh go ahead no I was just gonna say as far as like what you can do you know um oh no maybe I shouldn't say this oh no mm-hmm. it's all right the thought it's coming out um <laughs> <laughs> every time I hear somebody like because we we talk about plant offerings when during in our plant camps and with our students and we're like you know plants love water you know here in the west but you know they also like you know in certain circumstances, especially in the lush, you know, Eastern forests, like, you know, poop is great, you know, as far as a way for feeding plants. Just and hashtag wondering about offerings. It, right? Yeah, hashtag <laughs> bury it, exactly. Like, we're so weird and greedy as humans. <laughs> um, no, but like also just, you know, the as hunters, um, as foragers, as herbalists, like there's 
as far as paying attention, you know, beyond, you know, just giving, uh, whatever fluids, solids from your body. Um, but I'd say that even like the, the paying attention piece, that is just one of the places to start as far as giving back to your landscape, because you can encourage the process. You can, Brie was talking about, um, gardens before and just like with you in your yard or with you in your forest patch, wherever you're tending, you can spread seeds, right? You can, um, you can make it so that you can, you know, take a, I've done this before where I take wild plums and I take them home and then I germinate them in the spring and I go out and I put them in a spot and I bury it in a little patch. You know, you can, there's all sorts of like little, just very super simple little <laughs> things that you can do that it's are. It's like gorilla propagating. I intent. do. I yeah, actually do exactly. that. So when I hunt, I take, uh, I use milkweed floss for a wind check. So like instead of the stupid little shake bottle yeah. with the powder, I use yeah. the milkweed floss for the wind check. But like a lot of guys will sit there and pick out the seeds and like throw them in the garbage. I actually leave the seeds on most of them. And as I'm in the tree, I'm like, oops, <laughs> let it go. I'm sure a lot of farmers when I'm on field edges don't like that. But guess what? I'm Whatever. planting. Yeah, I'm spreading <laughs> that milkweed. But yeah. <clears throat> like, so back to like the herbalism side of this stuff. But like, um, <laughs> One of the things like I found letting things go back and start restoring themselves was this year. I got super excited. My, like, my wife was like, what are you so excited about? I'm like, smell it, smell it. And it was pineapple weed. It was like the same thing you're talking about with like the realtor. It was the first time that it came back. And the coolest that part about it was like, it was on like the edge of like a, like a driveway to my barn that used to get sprayed, but it hadn't been sprayed in like seven, eight yeah. years. And all of a sudden you now it's finally coming back. Yeah. It's one of the first ones to come back after a spray is what I've yeah. noticed. So it was pretty cool. Mm. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I'm like, just smell it. It smells so good. Mm. Crush it in your fingers. But yeah. one of those things, right? It came back. So let's talk about some things because we're actually pretty long on time already. But um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so let's just talk about like, Say something that somebody could like tease, for instance, you know, where you're not mm -hmm. ingesting mass amounts of something to where it's just kind of a small amount, your body's taking it in, but it could be a daily thing like uh, plantain and yarrow, like the tea you guys made or something like that mm -hmm. to where, you know, it's, it's good and you're doing it for like a nightly routine and you just want some tea anyway, because so many people have, you know, a glass of tea or whatever anyway. What's something you could utilize that would actually be beneficial for you on a daily basis or something like that? Why don't you take this one, Brianna, and I'll take that. I'll, I'll, you, you, you tell me yours and I'll take mine. Um, I mean, one of my, I guess, a daily nourishing, like to me, I think um, nourishing herbs and mushrooms. So mm -hmm. I really like traditional mushrooms as well, meaning like turkey tail chaga, um, lion's mane. Um, I actually kind of like those more as my dailies recently than mm -hmm. any herb. They seem to be more of a constant, but if it, so I consider those herbs. So I've, I've, we've been at a mushroom kick, like with the whole COVID thing that's gone on, it's been a really great thing to get people on, um, getting the immune system back into place, helping it get um, into a fighting place if it's gotten low from different things. And so mushrooms have been freaking awesome. Um, I don't know if I could like pick one, maybe chaga. <laughs> 
So chaga like, is actually a canker, right? It's it's a canker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, kills the tree, but in turn makes this wonderful, beautiful thing that we utilize for medicine. Yeah. But like a vampire. Yeah. So with Halloween coming, you know, the chaga is <laughs> nice. But if it was an herb, I guess nettle. But for us out here in Colorado, nettle is really drying on like mm. a daily basis. So I like a blend of like nettle mm. and marshmallow ah. together as a tea. Um, so my tea I just made. Because I wanted to like help the liver and everything, so I had dandelion yeah. leaf, the head with the stem of the flower, mm. and nettle in there, a little bit of mint from the mm, garden, perfect. and yeah. some mallow root too. So like just a little yeah. bit, you know, which is perfect. So yeah. you've got like a good aromatic, like we talk about those aromatic herbs always being as like a pusher herb or something that's going to help carry those other herbs deeper into the body and help them get to places and it also tastes good, right? You want to be able to have something that tastes delightful not that you're just drinking like green water. Mm. Um, you're going to have more success with people drinking their herbs if it's palatable. And so mint's a great one. Rose is another nice one that you can get from the wild that gives your teas a nice light flavor. Um, I actually put a couple yeah. drops of my reishi uh, tincture in there too, but... <laughs> always add the mushrooms these yeah. days so let's talk about mushrooms then are you utilizing tinctures or are you using like powders or you know like dried we do mushrooms? Bo- i do both so like if i'm making a pot of coffee in the morning i usually use a french press and i'll put like a teaspoon of a mushroom blend in there where it's about eight to twelve different mushrooms in there um and then we just did a whole line of tinctures that we're calling fungi and flora here at the shop at Rooted. And so those are a blend of mushrooms with herbs to kind of specify um, different targets. So like we have a lymphatic one called Fung Fu Fighting. That's really good, like post-sickness <laughs> or to help. Isn't that good? Yeah, it's a pretty good name. It's a pretty good name. <laughs> and so that one's good for like helping to like get the lymphatic system flowing with where it's got cleavers and chickweed and red root and acatillo in with turkey tail and chaga. Then we have like our shroom tonic, which is all the all these medicinal mushrooms with chocolate. So it's palatable, right? Taste matters. And then we have one for skincare. We have one for ADHD where we have lion's mane mixed with a bunch of herbs that are really good with focus, adaptogenic kind of herbs that way. Um, we have one that we call our lion's mane neural regain, because we've seen lion's mane and anti-inflammatory herbs and adaptogens to really help people with the long haul of COVID with like brain fog and neurological issues that are presenting that way. So we get them loaded up on that one and like the fung fu fighting to see how we can kind of kick their immune system um, either a little like fight off any extra spike proteins that could be lingering in the body um, or just to get that immune system back to a good function. And then what's the last one we have there? I think there's another one, but, um, oh, reishi and chill. So it's reishi and mimosa and rose and pinion. And that one's really tasty. And that's like Mm, your little chill pill anti, um, depressant. I have fun with names. And so, (laughs) so we've, we've really, we've embraced the mushrooms this year more so than before with skincare, with internal care. And, um, yeah. My wife thought she was pretty clever with, uh, names. And so she was writing, like when she was writing on the dried herbs on the lid, she was like stevia nicks and like writing different ones. And then I'm like, but I'm like, what about this one? And what about this one? You didn't do anything with this. And she's like, well, I couldn't think of anything. And I'm like, give me some time. So like Sage, (laughs) I was like, Jimmy Sage. And she's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, really? Like one of the greatest bands of all time 
and you don't know? And she's like, no. She's just like, no. No, but whatever. I thought it was pretty good. I so. think it's clever. I love, yeah. The plant puns are some of my favorites. So um, what are some other things besides the mushrooms, Kat? Do you want to talk about, like, what's a good daily? I mean, one of my favorites on the daily, it's not necessarily even tea or tincture. It could be whole plant, but bitters. Um, we have, there's, you know, there's nature deficit disorder. There's all sorts of, but bitter deficit disorder, I think is very underplayed in the United States. You mean Most... that like everything we consume has like sugar in it to make it taste sweet and like make it, or sugar salt, like make us want more? Is that like a yeah, thing? No, it's, and they mask it's it? It's <laughs> dysregulating. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's so interesting. I was just teaching a class on bitters the other day. We were just like, I was talking to, we have a couple of students who are from other countries uh, originally, or their parents were from other countries. And they were like, oh yeah, like my Italian grandmother, she'd like always had this little like glass, like right after dinner of some sort of mystery liquid. I remember sipping it and being like, oh, and it's so bitter. And she's like, Isamaro, like you know, it's it's like they have all these. All most other countries have some sort of tradition with like eating bitter greens or having a bitter drink, um, and we need it as humans. Like we have bitter receptors inside of our lung tissue and our cardiovascular tissue and everywhere throughout the body, and we don't even know how important they are. We know basics of like, oh, look, it definitely gives a little pump to the liver and to the digestive tract, but I feel like even i mean all you have to do is taste it literally that's all you got to do it's once or twice a day um which we tend to like the only the major bitter we get is coffee um and we tend to like but pumpkin you know spice latte the crap out of that. you know so what's terrible like, about I that i would like it with caramel and <laughs> can we just take the bitter part out what's terrible about the so. coffee is only crap coffee because i'm a coffee snap but crap coffee is bitter or the brewing process, or stale grounds. So, like, yeah. good coffee isn't even bitter. You're actually going to taste, like, oak and caramel notes. It's going to be, like, a wine-tasting and an amazing yeah. experience. But it's crap coffee. The stuff where you get stuff which actually has oats and barley and other things toasted in with it, even though they lie about it and say it's pure grounds. <laughs> or they use Robusto beans, which are crap garbage <laughs> coffee beans that aren't even good yeah that's how you get that so yeah that's yeah. It so yeah, yeah. unless yeah. i mean <laughs> instead of going to like the 7-eleven and like getting the five hour old coffee Burnt coffee um yeah. just like simple just like a dandelion leaf in a day or even like just i'm not picky i'm like however you can get them but just like you know even like arugula or like if you're not going to go for wild greens if you're not quite there yet just anything that you can get that has a little bit of that bitterness to it um which is you know lettuce greens in the garden like if you grow them yourself they'll like they'll have that or like the bottoms of romaine like you know if you get those romaine lettuce and you bite the bottom of it it's got that like bitterness to it but so bitter herbs i love bitter formulas cuz they're just like i mean everybody knows bitters like you go to, if you go to any bar, I was in the Midway airport. Uh, I was flying back from an event on the East coast. I was in Chicago and Chicago. I was having some Chicago. I was having some digestive upset and we were like, Ugh. and I was able to go to a bar and be like, do you have seltzer and bitters? And they're like, yeah, sure. Like every bartender will, will be able to like pull out some bitters from behind the counter. And I was able to have seltzer and bitters and bitters. Usually when they're behind a bar, they're like, 
they're aromatic. Like they've got something like, like a fennel or a ginger or something mixed in with like super bitter, you know, gentian or yellow dock or something like that. And I was able to settle my stomach and it was just like, oh, it's, anyway, it's great for so many <laughs> systems of your body. So that would be my, that would be my daily dose for the, for the moment would probably be, be bitters. So if you're going to do these bitters, like what would your way be versus like, I understand like incorporating meals and stuff like that, but like, is there any other type? Like, what are you doing? Tinctures of some sort if you had to? Well, you can what? always, you can always do tinctures. I think like if everybody was able to just like get some Angostura bitters or some Swedish bitters or like whatever bar bitters you have, like at your liquor store, like every liquor store will have a bitters formula of some kind. It'll be you know more or less tasty. Um, and then just putting that in the fizzy water or putting that into a little bit of water and knocking it back. Like that's one way. That's probably the easiest way. It's how I get most of my clients to take bitters on the daily before I be like, so, you know, um, take a tincture, you know, take a little <laughs> witchy blend of like a little bit of wormwood and plus some ginger and like a home blend. So that brings up a good uh, point to me. It just yeah. makes me think of it. Like, so is there something that you would tell them like, hey, that's pretty powerful bitters. Maybe not utilize that as frequently or utilize that for when you actually need it for like maybe some type of infection or something you're trying to clear up. Cause I know some of them are pretty, pretty yeah. strong. That's the thing about a lot of the herbs that, that we tend to work with. Like most of the herbs, as long as it's not like frankly toxic, which stuff, there's a lot of herbs that are bitter that are very pretty toxic, but like, I don't know, like dandelion and yellow dock. And like, unless you're on some like really serious pharmaceutical cocktail to keep you alive for a very specific reason, or like you're, you're, you're pregnant and you're just being really careful and you're sensitive to herbs, most herbs you can kind of dose and you'll know pretty quickly um, whether or not it's too much or too little. Um, Cause either it won't work or in the case of bitters, you can totally like, if you take me a student the other day, who um, they were taking an herb of the week, like to get to know an herb and they took gentian and they were all mad in class. They were like, I took two dropperfuls, which is so much like this is oh, a, wow. an herb that, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, oh, it's so bitter. Like bitters it's is just bitters. a taste thing. Like you need a drop. <laughs> yeah, totally. You need like a couple of drops, which I love bitters. I'm insane about it. I'll like take a whole squirt of wormwood or something like that. And even I'm like gentian, I'm like, oh my God, two dropperfuls, ugh. Um, but she was like, yeah. And I got kind of nauseous and I'm like, oh, so then what did you do? And she's like, well, I took less. I'm like, good. That's what you do. Like, Your you body know, told you what to do. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, yeah. it's like pay, it comes back to pay attention. That's it's limiting. like, you, you'll know pretty quickly. Like if maybe if you're like, all right, just not paying attention to your body, probably what you would notice at worst with bitters, if you didn't immediately get nauseous is you maybe after like a week or so, you'd get a little constipated. Like that happens with people who are trying to do like, you know, anti-parasite cleanses with these really bitter, dark herbs, like black walnut and wormwood and stuff that's incredibly cold and dry. Um, it'll make you have a really sluggish digestion. Like that's the worst of it. That will generally happen. Um, of course, there's all the caveats of like, okay, if you're on certain drugs, you know, be careful, whatever. But um, for most people, if you are generally like in relatively good health, your body will tell you immediately, but you can always start small. That's what we always end up telling our students is like, you know what? Humans are very individual and so are herbs. So start with a couple of drops and work your way up. Um, don't get discouraged. If you're like five drops isn't working, you know, take a little bit more. You'll be fine. So um, one of the things 
that I wanted to talk to you guys about was your plant camp. So like, what <gasps> oh. is that and what's that about? Like, what is it? Well, it started a couple of years ago where we started taking students out into the wild and teaching them everything from ancestral skills to wild foods um, to herbalism. And we did our first one. It was a two week session. We did it with Tom Apple, who wrote Botany in a Day. And then from there, it's just kind of evolved. And so like, it was pretty awesome. And it was, and then it was like people, people like we have students that have returned like three to four times and we've only done it four times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the following year, we kind of broke it up and did a couple different weekends. And this past year we did it again, where it was almost like a two week chunk, but we let people come if they wanted to come for like session one, session two or session three, or we had most of the students did the full, um, full two week session. And so we camp and we like kind of commune together and cook wild food meals, make medicine together. They learn how to like do the hands-on stuff that a lot of people get nervous to do at home, like tincture making or salve making. Um, you know, like we were talking about that whole getting back into nature and like rewilding or whatnot. And one of the things the students like get the most out of is like their plant sits, mm. literally just have them go sit with like an yeah. aspen tree and see what they have to say after just like sitting with a plant. Cause a lot of people don't take the time to do that. Um, so we do everything from like distillation to learning about herbs. I put plant ID, making sure you're like a little trained botanist. And then because not everybody can come to Colorado to do it, we in turn started a plant camp at home that Kat and I made last winter mm-hmm. and it's our at home class. And so you can learn wild foods, herbalism, uh, gardening, how to make medicine and everything from the comfort of your home. And it's like a bunch of recipes and plants that you learn about. So is that like a self-paced thing or is it like live sessions? How does that work? A little bit of both. So you can take it. It's, it's funny. We were, um, we were about halfway through, uh, cause it's a three month course and you can self-pace it. Um, and we got about halfway through cause we do basically you have a bit of material and we have like five pages of material every day. Um, and then we'd meet every month to just talk about like, okay, like, where's everybody at? Like, how are you doing? We have these like kind of two hour live sessions where we do a demo and, you know, of the things that are a little harder to do sometimes by yourself, like making a tincture or making a lotion, et cetera. And we were about, I think we were at our second session and we realized that most people were only like four weeks into the material, even though we were like eight weeks into the program. <laughs> Cause it's just such a huge amount of material. We got very ambitious. We're like, everyone's going to sit down every day and read five yeah. pages and like practice with the medicine and all the herbs, which you could totally do. And you could um, do, you could, you totally could go gung-ho and just, you could, <laughs> you could send it. But, uh, but for the most part, what we've seen a lot of people do is kind of just like take little bites at a time. Um, and we set it up so that you can, you can, you have access to all of the live sessions that we open up to. You can just jump in at kind of, at any point at any of our live sessions where we kind of do Q&As and do kind of discuss principles or discuss a method of medicine making and you have access to the course kind of just in perpetuity so we have a lot of people who just kind of like they just when they have times like they'll have a week off or they'll have a weekend off and they'll take you know a big bite and they'll dive deep into the tincture making week or into the wild foods week or whatever Um, so that's kind of 
it's a little bit of a combination of um, the self-paced aspect of things, but then the live sessions make it so that people can engage kind of at any, at any point they want with whatever part of the curriculum they can. And any of like the, like we were on our third opening for students. And so it's like, we're building like Mm. a little community of students with everybody. Mm. And so everybody can come in on those lives if they started last fall or, um, and then are the like spring. those live sessions recordable to where they could access them later yeah. or something. Okay. That's yep. cool. Yeah. That's definitely cool yeah. too. Cause then, I mean, if you miss it or whatever, at least you can feel like you got something, you know, out of that. And I always feel mm-hmm. like live sessions or talking to somebody, I tend to pick up more than just yeah. looking at something anyway, or like, you know, like Tim Clemens always talks about forming a relationship, touch the plant, sit there with the plant, look at it. Like, know it but it's totally true like once you learn that plant and like or distinguishing feature something sticks out to you you're like oh hey you don't forget i know that one these are my friends now you know it's like like all these plants and like the more plants i learn learning plants doesn't do anything but building that relationship like Mm. it becomes your ally like all of a sudden you're like oh yeah that's mullen well guess what you make a tea with that mullen and like soothe a sore throat or a cough. And it's like, hey, wait a minute. That's my friend. It's not just a plant anymore that you learn, yeah. which is pretty like cool. Yeah. I call it the, the plant encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like your built-in encyclopedia that yeah. never leaves. It's like your, it's in your back pocket of your brain, mm-hmm. you know? Like it's always going to be accessible to you wherever you go. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we talked about your plant camp. We talked about you know, a little bit about the apothecary. So before we go, can you guys kind of talk about like where everybody can find you guys individually and, you know, as a collective for teaching for the plant camp and all that cool stuff too. Kat, you can So go all first. the plant oh, okay. camp, oh, I was going to say <laughs> plant right. camp stuff all lives on our Rooted Apothecary website. Okay. And then um, I think Kat's got some links there too from her website, which mm-hmm. is meetthegreen.com. Yep, that's it. And then ours is rooted-apothecary.com. So if somebody were wanting to reach out to you to either get treatment, education, something like that, Kat, where would they kind of get in touch with you? Would it be through the website or email or something like that? Yeah, so um, I have my my website, my business is Meet the Green. Um, so you can go through there and see most of the the classes, either the classes I'm teaching at the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism and the ones I teach locally. Bree and I are separated by the Rockies, basically. So Bree's on one side, I'm on the other. So I do classes kind of on the front range of Colorado, um, more so uh, other than the plant camps that I teach, that Bree and I teach. But that's probably the best place to go. Yeah, is that Meet the Green? And everything is linked through there, including to the links back to plant camp and and also our... Um, we gotta, we're getting together pretty soon to make our dates for this next year for our plant camps in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about trying to go to a couple of different states outside of Colorado. So that's, that's coming up sometime in the next month or two here. That would be awesome. And then, so Brianna, what do you say about where to reach out to you, get in touch with you <laughs> so if they you want treatment? <laughs> you can find me on social media stuff. Everything's at Rooted Apothecary. Um, and then the rooted-apothecary.com is the website where you can find classes that we offer. Um, there's also a fun 
little mini course that we have for plant camp at home called it's, it's actually what we took out of what we did it at um, the Midwest harvest fest with a rewilding with mm. spices. And there's a blog that we recently put up there where people can get in to get access to download that. And they get a little 5% off code to plant camp at home, but everything's on the website. There's always a ton of information to browse on there and our products and everything, but you can usually see me more on social media. And then so. uh, I'm not going to mention the books that you wrote. Oh yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. There's... So modest. Um, so I wrote Mountain States Foraging, which will tell you all your wild plants or most of them that you can get from basically the Rocky Mountains up to Canada. Um, and there's a lot of weeds in there that could be found all around the United States. And then there's also Mountain States Medicinal Plants, which carries a lot of the same plants between the two books, but one teaches you how to eat them as food. The other one teaches how to prepare them as medicine and remedies. Awesome. And yeah. one more thing, I just got to ask you because we didn't do it. We got so wrapped up in cats, like primitive skills that we didn't really talk about it, but like, obviously there's a long journey there and it couldn't have just started, you know, in college or wherever, like how did your plant journey start? Cause it couldn't have just been that. I mean, there has to be like a big, basis for that so can you kind of talk yeah. about that like where, where did it come from I started wildcrafting with my grandfather who was Italian so he was from Italy and it goes back to his mother who was picking plants in the fields out there but he owned a lot of property in Michigan and so we would always be picking wild plums pears apples raspberries blackberries grapes and so that's kind of where it started as a kid. And then it just kind of carried through with the interest. Um, I moved out to Colorado to learn to be a body worker. And then from there, that was in Boulder. And then I was like, but I want to know herbs too. And so I just kept diving in and out here where I live, there wasn't really anyone to take me under their wings. So I actually ended up um, meeting my main mentor, Jim McDonald, who is back in Michigan and he lives about 30 minutes away from where I grew up. So it was a cool circle where I came out <laughs> here, cool. people introduced me to Jim and then I was like, wait, you are teaching about everything I grew up around, like literally 30 minutes away from where I live. So Jim's one of my best friends and we hang out, you know, whenever we get, I get back to Michigan, our kids are even best friends and it became like this weird little full circle. So I know mm -hmm. my Western plants, my Michigan plants, that's one of the places we'd love to do a plant camp. Um, and I just kind of kept going from there and learning all the plants around me. I started taking mm. up botany and flora classes in college. So that's where I got a lot of my botanizing skills and learning the plants that were out here. And then I just kind of started connecting the dots with Michael Moore's books, um, the herbalist, not the film guy. And <laughs> I was like, what? Diving with it, you know, and then before I knew it, people were asking me if I wanted to write books about the plants that I'd been talking about or studying and utilizing. And so that's how I got my book deals was kind of word of mouth from a Michigan herbalist uh, writer, Lisa Rose, who wrote the Midwest foraging and Midwest herbalism book over there, the medicinal plant book for the Midwest. And um, Lisa M. Rose, I believe. Lisa the, M. Rose yeah, yeah, yeah. is a good friend of mine. So anyway, it was kind of just part of the circle. And then that's how Kat and I met was I needed someone who knew the Rocky mountain plants and could do a botanical review is what they required. And no one would do it. No one felt confident enough. And so I reached out to Lisa Ganora, who used to own the Colorado school of clinical herbalism where Kat's at. 
And I was like, how, how can you do this? And she was like, reach out to Josh or Kat. And um, I reached out to both of them and Kat was like, yeah, I want to do this. <laughs> and awesome. so, um, and Josh and Kat are actually like a thing, like they're a couple. So it's like even cuter. Aww. And they weren't at the, I know I had to add that in there. <laughs> anyway, so that's how Kat and I met. Is that I contacted her and was like, I need help. And like, who are you? Apparently, you know your plans. And that was what, eight years ago? Yeah. Nine yeah, years? Just ago? about now. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on and uh, talking all this fun stuff. And uh, honestly, we really probably didn't even scratch the surface of anything. But uh, it was amazing to carry on this conversation and hopefully we educated some people and I know I took away some things from it. So thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, Luke. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenge.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.